to get your uh, bearing in the liturgical year, the Christian calendar, the Sunday before Lent is always Transfiguration Sunday. That's always a Sunday uh, when we are called upon to reflect on what it means that Jesus went with his disciples to that mountain and as we read earlier was transformed and, and uh, there was this glowing essence of God shining through consultation with Elijah and Moses and, uh, and then really sort of the heart of, of the gospel because from that point onward Jesus begins to unveil himself. So on this Transfiguration Sunday we're now looking at the Apostle Paul's reflection on that Transfiguration experience and uh, the, the whole idea of Paul taking that image of brightness and glory, what does that mean for us? And, and you're going to see some key verses. So 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 through 6. And would you stand, please, as I read aloud God's word. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers, to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not proclaim ourselves, we proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your slaves for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who said, let light shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. A little girl was sitting in Sunday school class at her table, all hunched over, uh, concentrating, coloring and drawing, and the teacher stood behind her and said, that's really pretty, what is it? And she said, well, I'm drawing a picture of God, God's face. And the teacher was patient and lovingly said, well, that's sweet, honey, but nobody knows what God's face looks like. And she said, they will when I get done. <laughs> uh, and that's a bold claim, isn't it? Uh, the Apostle Paul makes a bold claim here. He says in the, God, in the reading from uh, 2 Corinthians that Jesus is the image of God. And the word for image in the Greek is icon, from which we get our word icon or iconic. And the word iconic is kind of being overused in our, uh, in, our, in our words today. But icon is an express image or an exact image of the real. And the Apostle Paul says Jesus is the express image of God. And the way uh, Eugene Peterson translates that in the message is, Christ gives us the best picture of God we'll ever see. Christ gives us the best picture of God that we'll ever have. Or you remember that famous passage in John 14 when Jesus is talking with Philip and the other disciples and Jesus finally says, because Philip isn't getting it, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I'm everything that God has to say about God's self. And so there's that, there's that audacious claim of Jesus and that bold claim of the Apostle Paul, Jesus is the image of God and that is... That is powerful. And it's especially so when you remember that the Apostle Paul didn't start out that way. Remember he started out as Saul of Tarsus. He was a persecutor of the church. He was a terrorist of his day. He was, he was convinced he needed to stamp out this Jesus movement. 
he actually believed Jesus was a fraud because Jesus was claiming to be God. And then there was this change, this conversion, and this continual transformation where Paul was changed from the inside out, from Saul to Paul. And now he's looking back on that and saying that he uses a phrase that Jesus uh, displays God's likeness or image, that there is this glory of Jesus, and he talks about the glory of Christ and the glory of God. And in this passage, he uses the two phrases interchangeably, as if when he's talking about one, he's talking about the other. The splendor of God and the splendor of Jesus can be interchanged. Splendor or glory. And glory is a hard concept to understand. It's, it has to do with God's essence or God's being or God's nature. Uh, I always think of uh, like very fine silver that, you know, you may have a, a silver piece in your home or some silver utensils and, and we know that, that silver has to be cared for and so you have this polish and the polish is used to remove the tarnish and the, the polish is not there to add something to it. The polish is there to remove that which obscures it. The polish is there to remove the dirt so that the natural essence of silver can shine through. And so the transfiguration of Jesus was basically God saying, let me give you some 3D glasses. And here are some 3D glasses so that you can see my, you can see the essence or the, the shine, the, the glory of God through Jesus. Just for a glimpse because you can't take it for long. But the curtain was pulled back and this essence of God shined through. And Paul said, that's what happened on that mountain, and that's what Christ means to me. Now, if you follow that logic, it begs the question, if Jesus is God's glory, you know, a really sharp person paying attention and someone who likes to argue would say, well, if that if Jesus shows God's glory, why isn't everyone a believer? Wouldn't, wouldn't that glory be irresistible? Wouldn't everybody follow Christ? Why would there ever be any question? And that's when Paul begins to answer this question. Well, you see, it's because the God of this world has blinded their eyes. And, and he begins to talk about that in a way that helps us understand that when you don't want to see, you don't have to see. And that when you don't want to see, if you keep on not seeing, eventually you won't be able to see. There is this sense that when we refuse to see, we become, become unable to see. Because we keep making that choice and our hearts get harder and we resist. You know, uh, in this building, uh, we have these energy-saving lights that are motion-sensitive. And some of you have been in Sunday school classrooms or in committee meetings where if everyone sits too still, all of a sudden the lights go out, which is never a good thing for a committee trying to do brainstorming and plan, planning. You know, go, well, somebody move. You know, we need to come alive. It's gone dark. But you see, the less motion, the less light. But when you move, the light comes on. And there's that sense spiritually where if we're not hungry, if we're not open, if we're resisting, then the darkness just sort of closes in and we continue to choose darkness and we become a prisoner of darkness. But when we choose light, when we choose to trust, there is that sense of movement and more light comes so that 
when we, we refuse to act on the light we have, we receive less light and more darkness. Think about it. And when we act on the light we have, more light comes. And that's what Paul says is going on here. And so how does Jesus Christ happen to people? You know, we might all be just doomed to that dark shell, but, but the Apostle Paul wants to talk about Jesus happening to somebody uh, like a second act of creation. He uses language quoting Genesis because Paul remained a good Jewish rabbi all of his Christian ministry. And he reminds everybody of the first book of the Bible, Genesis 1, 1 through 3. There was darkness, there was void, there was a glob of nothing, there was chaos. And God didn't have to roll up God's sleeves and do a bunch of work and sweat. God just spoke the words, let there be light, and there was light. And let there be this, and there was this. God spoke light into existence. And Paul said, just as God did that in God's gracious act in creation, so God does that in recreation. He looks in your dark soul and in my dark soul, and he says, let there be light. And there's new creation. There's spiritual life. There's that second creation. And Paul wants us to catch the drama of how powerful that is. You have the physical creation created by God's voice and God's will, and you have the, that spiritual creation. That's why I asked Rod a long time ago, when I knew what I was going to be preaching, to sing Fairest Lord Jesus. I love that song anyway, and especially stanza three. You were listening, right? Fair is the sunshine, you know, natural creation, God did great things. Fair is the sunshine, fairer still the moonlight, and all the twinkling starry host. But Jesus shines brighter. Jesus shines purer than all the angels heaven can boast. Jesus shines brighter than all those stars. God did that creative work in Jesus Christ in our hearts. That's a miracle in our hearts. And light is such a fabulous, fabulous working image and metaphor for what it means to come into Christ. And, and it's especially so on a day like this, right? When there's so much cloud and so much ice and so much yuck. To just dwell on that image of light. I uh, know of a pastor, he said a woman was trying to describe her conversion experience and she just finally ran out of words and she threw up her hands and said, I feel like I've swallowed sunshine. That's a good way to think of it. I swallowed sunshine. And I had an experience when I pastored in St. Joseph years ago. Uh, was a, a, a gentleman who was blind asked me to come to his house and I visited with his wife and him. Uh, he, he'd just sort of been left out. He'd never found a church. He'd never found a way to connect, but he was so hungry spiritually and I explained the plan of salvation to him and I was able to lead him to Christ. And this man who was physically blind just had such a wonderful Christian journey the last few years of his life. And I checked in with him and I said, how are you doing spiritually? And here's what he said. He said, oh, oh, I'm so glad I asked Jesus into my life. It's the difference between daylight and dark. Here's a blind man using that image 
not my words, his, to describe what it means to come into Christ. Irenaeus was a second century Christian who did a lot of writing and clarifying uh, a theology of Jesus, a philosophy of Christian life, sort of a taking, uh, taking seriously intellectual debates and Greek debates of the day. And somebody asked Irenaeus once, what new thing Jesus brings to world religions? You know, they were trying to place Jesus along with all these other world religions. What new thing does Jesus bring to world religions? And Irenaeus answered himself. He brings himself. That's it. That's everything. Because Jesus shines brighter than all the stars and moon and heaven can boast. Jesus shines brighter. Paul was saying something profound about Jesus and about the transfiguration and how it happens and lights up in our lives. Um, I have this challenge for the few days between now and when Lent begins on Ash Wednesday, I would like for us to do something that an old uh, a 20th century Episcopal uh, preacher, Samuel Shoemaker, encouraged his congregation to do. He called it a spiritual experiment. Uh, he said it's like a scientific experiment. You know, when you're testing some thesis, some hypothesis in biology or chemistry, You start out with a premise with this hypothesis and then you start doing things as if it's true to test it out, right? You start doing these things if it's true, then this, this, and this will work. He said, why not do a spiritual experiment uh, as if God is God, as if Jesus is who Jesus says he was? Read your Bible during the season of Lent. Pray. Come to church expectantly, start paying attention spiritually as if Jesus is who Jesus says he is and see if new things don't start happening in your life. A spiritual experiment where you are testing out to see if this faith works. And as we do that together, Jesus shines brighter and the essence and the glory of Jesus will begin to make a difference in our lives. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for the brightness of Jesus, for the capacity to know and experience and respond to the light. Thank you for these who are gathered here and help us on our spiritual journey to be alive and awake and to be able to receive the light you give us. Through Christ we pray. Amen.